Well, good morning, everyone. We're glad you've joined us today. As you're well aware, in a little over two weeks, our nation will make a number of uh, decisions that will significantly impact and affect our future as a nation. Most important of those decisions, of course, will be who we elect to be our next president. The next president, like him or her, will be given the chance to shape our economy, like the ones before them. They'll shape our economy. They'll shape our involvement in the world. Probably the most important thing is they will um, have a significant impact on the makeup of the Supreme Court. Now, given the decisions that um, are going to be made in a couple weeks, you'd expect a rush to the polls every election cycle. But of course, that's not the case. Over the last 40 years, the turnout has been between 49 and 60 percent of eligible voters. That's, that's pretty low. Why? Well, the term that's being used or has been used is voter apathy. The idea that my vote just doesn't count. Now, honestly, it's, it's hard to argue with the sentiment of voter apathy. And if you do vote uh, in a couple of weeks, you will be only one of an estimated 150 million vote, votes that will be cast in this current election. And your vote won't actually elect the next president. Your vote doesn't do that. You uh, elect a member of the Electoral College. It's the 538 members of the Electoral College that will meet in December and actually elect the president. Now, they're supposed to vote in line with the popular vote in the states that they represent, but not in every state do they have to do that. And so, as we saw back in 2000, in the presidential election, it is possible to win the popular vote and lose the election. And so all of this kind of leads to a sense of it, it just really doesn't matter whether I vote or not. But what if I told you that there was going to be a tie in this upcoming election for president, and your vote would determine the outcome? Right in, whatever, anyone you decided would be the president of the United States you would be doing a lot of careful thinking between now and November 8. You can't write yourself in just because you want to ride on Air Force One. That, that wouldn't count. You'd have to select someone to do that. And on that Tuesday morning, on November 8, you, you would wake up with, with the sense of, of how important uh, the decision was that you were about to make was going to be. It'd be at the top of your mind. And I say that because this is the way God views every one of our days, not just one Tuesday in November every four years. Every day, we wake up with the awesome responsibility and power to make a vote. We weigh decisions, and then we cast our vote every single day by what we decide to do and what we decide to say. Now, it may seem to us like these decisions don't really matter that much, but it's these daily decisions added together that sets the direction of our life and determines the impact that we will have both now and into eternity. So in this season of political decision-making, I want to focus our attention on an even more critical decision-making process, and that is our personal decision-making process. We'll be using the, the election cycle and what goes on in, in politics as kind of a parallel or a jumping-off point for the even more important decisions that go on in our life personally. You and I will make decisions. By the end of this year, some of these decisions might have the, the power to affect our lives much longer than the next four years, than the, the current election cycle. And there's nothing that God takes more seriously than our decisions. The problem is, is like in the political process, we tend to grow apathetic about the importance of the decisions that we make on a daily basis. 
And the reason is, for some of the, some of much the same reason that people get apathetic about the political process. One of the reasons is we just believe our vote doesn't count. Whether it's in the political process or whether, more importantly, it's for us. It just doesn't really matter what we decide to do. So we decide, you know, our vote just doesn't count. So let me ask you, are the two main candidates for president the ones that you would have chosen to lead our nation into the future? Maybe, but probably not. If you're like me, you can't believe that we have to pick one of them. Now, I know that there are more people on the ballot than just the, the two of the major parties, and you can write in whatever name you want. But let's be honest, it's most likely, almost assuredly, going to come down to one of those two. And it's most election cycles. I mean, this is probably the worst one, but most election cycles, I've just been, I, I can't believe we've got to choose one of these. That's just the way it often tends to go. And so that, that contributes to voter apathy. Now, I've already voted in the primaries. And like almost every single vote since I moved here to California, my vote didn't count. Now, when I say it didn't count, I, I don't mean that there was voter fraud and that for some reason my vote was not properly counted and tallied. What I mean is that my vote didn't really seem to matter because the person I selected is, is not on the ballot. So my vote had no impact on what actually occurred. That's what I mean when I say my vote didn't count. It, it didn't really change anything. And even the times when my candidate has won, it doesn't seem to have changed that much either. I mean, I voted now in nine presidential elections. Sometimes the person I voted for won, sometimes they didn't. They lost. Either way, honestly, my life has not changed that much based on who I voted for. I've watched the candidate that I voted for get elected only to observe their agenda, that the one that they promised, the things that they promised to do, just get chewed up in the fighting and compromise that goes on in politics. And so you're left wondering whether your candidate wins or loses, you're, you're often end up, you're left up wondering, so why vote? What, what impact is it really going to make? What, what difference will occur? There seem to be much bigger powers at work than my little individual vote for the future of this nation. There's bigger agendas that seem to keep thwarting the will of the people over and over again. And so people just get, well, the term is just disenfranchised. They just, they just get discouraged about the whole voting process. Now, we've had this same kind of experience in life, not just in politics. For example, maybe you decide to take a job that's, that has great promise, only to discover that it's, it's not what you hoped for. You didn't get what you voted for. It turned out to be something different than you had thought you were voting for. Or maybe you married the love of your life only to discover that happily ever after was just a, a little more difficult than it turned out to be. And, and what you voted for in your life when you said, I do, just didn't turn out to be exactly what you thought it was going to be. And maybe even now you're divorced. You, you didn't get what you voted for. Now, this kind of thing hasn't just happened once or occasionally to us. This this is a regular occurrence in both big and small decisions. You know, we make a decision to do something, and then something completely different and unexpected happens. And so over time, we, we kind of grow apathetic. We wonder, what, what, what does it matter what I decide to do? It doesn't matter whatever I make decisions and wherever I go. Life just seems to happen the way it's going to happen anyways. Now, this, this is not a new feeling. 
Scripture accurately predicts that this, this kind of apathy, this kind of sense that it really doesn't matter what I do, the future is going to go on just like the past, it's just going to happen no matter what I decide to do, this kind of apathy is predicted in Scripture. Here's what it says in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4. It says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised, speaking of God. Where's the coming that God promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, what's being scoffed at here? Well, the idea that Jesus will return to earth one day as a judge, the one who will count every vote, every decision that we've made. He will evaluate every decision, every vote will be counted. Now, that idea is scoffed at by many people. And the reason is because, well, you don't see a lot of daily evidence that God's going to be that involved. As it says here in this passage, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You know, you can just take a quick glance at your own life, and it seems that what happens is just kind of a product of random things, you know, natural, you know, cause and effect, and God seems to have nothing to do with the flow of history sometimes. Now, if in fact he was the counter of every single vote, there's some times where you just don't see the evidence of that. I mean, people who vote for him all the time, and then bad things happen to them. Or the reverse happens. People vote against him with their decisions, and their life seems to go on unfazed, completely untouched. So the thought is, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. My decisions don't seem to really matter, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. That's what it's talking about here. The word scoffing literally means to, to dance or to, to play games. And so the idea is that if your life votes don't count, just have fun. Just dance, play games, follow your desires wherever they take you. Because it really doesn't seem to matter what you do. You just, you just kind of make yourself and your own happiness the point of life because your votes really don't matter. The wheel of time and chance is going to keep rolling on no matter what you do. So you might as well have a good time before you die like all of your ancestors have done. That's, that's the common thought that a lot of people have now. But this common approach to life, this, this apathetic, it doesn't matter what I decide to do, I might as well just have fun, this, this common apathetic approach to life draws its conclusion from a very limited data stream. It looks at a few lives, usually their own life and a few lives around them, and it looks at a few years, a time span of just a few years, and notices the disconnect between what was voted for, and what seems to actually happen in people's lives. And so then rather than take life seriously and decisions seriously, they can now make life all about them and their desires and whatever makes them happy. But it goes on in this passage in Second Peter to say they've forgotten something important. Here's what it says in verses 5 through 7. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, 
being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. It starts out by saying they deliberately forget. When they decide to, to scoff at the importance of whatever decisions they make and decide to make this life all about them and their desires, they, they're forgetting some important data. What they're forgetting is that the one who said that Jesus would return and count our votes is the same one who said at the very beginning, let there be light. And what people now, for the most part, call the Big Bang, something significant happened and just boom, all of a sudden things got started. And this is saying God's the one by his word that started everything. The heavens were created by this word. And this is the same one who warned of a worldwide flood. And now by the same word, the idea is the same one who said, let there be light and everything came into existence, and the same one who said, there's going to be a flood and there was a flood, that same person is now saying that Jesus is going to return and he's going to count every vote. He's saying that the present world is being kept for the day of judgment. And on that day, every vote is going to be tallied. Now, this, this isn't just a vague statement uh, of impending doom in the future. This is a very specific statement. It's actually a reservation on the future, a reservation for fire. Now, the word reservation here means to, to store up, and, and the word carries with it the image of, of a warehouse. So just imagine a, a giant warehouse, and everybody gets a storage area in that warehouse. They, they get a room, kind of like a, a big storage facility. You're, you're given your space, and you can, over the course of your life, acquire things and put things in the bin or the storage room that's got your name on it. You get to store things up. Now, whenever we store things up, it's because we need some things in the future, which is legitimate, because we need some things now. And sometimes it's to make us feel better about ourselves or better about our future. But what's going to happen is, at the, at, the, at the end, when Jesus returns, the entire warehouse will be burned to the ground. So everything that you've stored in your container, in your room, that's got your name on it, is going to be reduced to ashes. And as you sift through all these ashes of all the stuff that you accumulated over this life, the only thing that's going to remain is your decisions, the votes that you've made. So this life is not a bonfire contest, it's a voting opportunity. And we, we get this off. We, we start amassing things for our own benefit, and it's not wrong to have some stuff there. You need some stuff. But just realize it's, it's just going to be ashes. Everything's going to be ashes. The, the critical thing that's going to remain is the decisions that you made as you move through this life. So what we tend to deliberately forget is that this is going to happen. See, they, they've chosen to deliberately forget. I mean, deliberate forgetfulness is different than, oh, I just forgot. No, there's a motive behind this. There's an intention behind this. This is not just honest forgetfulness or an honest disagreement about the evidence behind God's Word in the Bible. No, this is deliberate. What this means is the evidence pointing to God's future judgment hasn't ever honestly been considered by these people. And this has been my common experience. 
Uh, it's not uncommon to find someone that says, you know, I just don't believe anything in the Bible. But if I ask them, well, why and, and what research have you done? It's pretty clear very early on they haven't done really any research. They've just come to that conclusion without examining any of the evidence that supports the accuracy and the historical viability of Scripture. And so they're gambling their entire future without really having done the work. Why would someone do that? Well, they've chosen to deliberately forget that. Because to remember these things or to investigate these things just might possibly jeopardize the intention to follow their own evil desires and do whatever they want to do. So when we vote for or against God in this life, and not much seems to change because of that, it's not because our vote doesn't count. It's because God is up to something bigger than just vote counting right now. He'll, he'll get to that. But right now, tallying and bringing about the results of our votes is not God's top priority. We get to experience a little bit of that, but that's, that's not the main agenda of God, of God right now. Here's the main agenda. It goes on in 2, Timothy, or 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 9, to say this. But do not forget this one thing. Now, many people have deliberately forgotten that the same voice that said, let there be light and let there be a flood is the one who said Jesus is coming back. They deliberately forget that. But this is something you don't want to forget. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. God operates on a different timetable. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is God's main agenda. This is what he's up to right now. What looks like slowness on his part to get around to counting and tallying the votes and bringing in the election results that we all have, it's really just patience on God's part. He's intentionally being slow. That's because there is one vote that matters more than every other vote. And that vote is whether or not we say yes to repentance. To repent means to turn around. Will we, this is the big question, will we decide to turn back around to God and ask for the forgiveness he offers through his son? That, that's the single biggest decision on which every life hangs in the balance. You see, Jesus Christ is the only yes vote that can cancel all the no votes that we've cast against God in our life. It's the only vote that has that power. Jesus' life given in exchange for our sin is the only way our relationship with God can be repaired. This is why God is patient, because this vote, well, it's, it's critical. It has the power to change every other vote. And so he's holding off judgment. He's holding off tallying up all the votes to give everyone a chance to come to repentance. He knows all the no votes that we've cast against him by just doing our own thing. So right now, all of our other votes are not fully counted so that we can have as much time as possible to cast the most important of all votes and decide yes or no on the Jesus ballot. That's, that's the decision that matters far more than any election cycle in any nation. You know, we, we are right about there being a force bigger than our voting that's at work. 
There's something bigger going on here. We're right about that. But we are wrong when we think that that means our individual decisions don't matter. It, it turns out that the bigger force at work is not the lobbyists in Washington. It's not the special interests. It's not the powerful elite of Hollywood or Wall Street. The bigger force is God himself. He's the one that's at work. And he is not wielding his tremendous power to take advantage of the little person, but for the sake of the little person, for you and me. One day, he will count every single vote, and every right and wrong will be made right. But that day is not today. And we need to be very grateful that it's not today. Because that brings us to the second reason behind widespread voter apathy. The first is the thought, my vote just doesn't count. The second reason for voter apathy, whether it's in the political decision-making arena or the personal decision-making arena, is this. My vote can wait. I, I, can, I can vote another time. Many people don't vote just because they don't get around to it. It's just that simple. They don't take the time to register to vote, to do the research, to decide, and then to go to the polling place and cast their ballot. They just don't take the time. Now, they might agree with you that voting is important. If you talk to them, they would say, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous privilege to have the right to, and the privilege to vote, but, and I agree with it. But what happens is life just takes over and another election cycle passes without them casting a vote. It's, it's just not that urgent to them. Now, honestly, I've been guilty of this a few times in the past. I really wanted to vote and I intended to vote, but I just got busy. And the day came and that was a full day and I was going to get there by the end of the day, but I, I just didn't. And I didn't vote on a few elections. I got busy and just didn't make time for it. So now I vote absentee. And my ballot comes to me in the mail. And so I vote. I've already got it. I haven't filled it out yet because I'm still... Don't know what in the world I'm going to do. But I've got it, and I'll vote when it's convenient to vote. But, but God's salvation, the, the Jesus decision, it, it doesn't come to us that way. It doesn't come to us in the mail, and it's, hey, when you get to it, you might want to make a decision on this one and mail it in, and then you can go about your busy life and do whatever you want to do. That, that's not the nature of this decision. This vote, this vote for Jesus well, it changes not only every no vote, but it changes every vote in the future. It changes your life. So the question then is, okay, well then when is God's election day? What, what day on the calendar is the election day? Well, the answer to that question is today. Today. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, you know, when, when I'm willing to, to dish out my grace and my forgiveness, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. So there is a day. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And this is written, the tense that's used in the Greek language is that this, this, is, this is the window of time right now. It's available right now. So, first of all, what it's saying, it's talking about God's grace is, is, is the offer. God's grace is what actually cancels out our no votes. 
It saves us. God's grace is his power applied to sin. It forgives and it rebuilds what our sin, what our no votes destroy. But like voting, receiving God's grace just doesn't seem that urgent today. I mean, eventually, but not today. You know, I've, I've got a few people, some friends, that I have been praying for them to vote yes for Jesus for years now. And they haven't received God's grace yet. And this has been going on for years. So that, that's thousands of days for them. And if they're not saved a day from their no votes, from their sin, there is a very good chance that they'll be around tomorrow, right? I mean, I've known them for years. So what, what is it that makes today the day of salvation? Why, why the urgency? Well, whenever there is a, a search and rescue mission launched, you know, maybe in the local mountains or, you know, something else, an earthquake, uh, someplace around the world, whenever there's a search and rescue mission that's launched to, to rescue or save people, there is a window of time before that rescue mission is called off and it shifts to what? A recovery mission. And that window of time is their estimates on how long someone could survive in the mountains, under the rubble, at sea, before, you know, they, they no longer are alive. And then it shifts into recovering the body mission. You see, that's because you need to be alive in order to be saved. If you're not alive, it's, it's a recovery of the body. It, it, it's too late. You, you can't rescue someone who's already passed. And that's what this is saying. There will come a day when it is too late to vote yes for Jesus. Oh, and when it's too late, there will be all kinds of yes votes for Jesus, but it, it's, it's, it, it would be like a corpse asking for help. It, it's just going to be too late for God's grace to save. And that day, when it's too late, will be the day when our, whenever our days on earth end. And until that, every single day leading up to that day, every day that we're alive is a day that we can be saved. Again, the world scoffs at this. But the one who created everything says, trust me, it's, it's coming. You have my word on this. You look around you and you think, ah, everything goes on like it always has. I know, but one day it will end. And until that day, we and those around us can be saved. And like me, you probably have friends and neighbors and maybe family members who, as far as you can tell, they, they've got no real interest in God and his offer of grace. They think all of this is silly. Maybe you've invited them maybe to Seabreeze, and they've either said no thanks politely, or maybe they've said, oh, maybe, and, but they, they just you know, haven't, haven't come yet. And it's easy to get, what's the word? Apathetic. To get complacent. Because most likely tomorrow will go on just like today. Then you'll wave at them and they'll wave at you and you'll talk to them and they'll talk to you about all different kinds of things. But th this is what we need to remember. They are still alive. So there's still hope. 
and you're still alive. So there's still something to say, maybe directly to them, maybe to God in prayer. But tomorrow's not guaranteed. Once someone dies, it, it's, it's, it's too late. It's too late to save them. So don't squander today. God has extended his patience for at least, well, we don't know if we got to the end of the day, but today we're alive. So at least now he's extended his patience, and it's an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to speak up. Today is the day of salvation, as this passage says. Everyone has to cast this vote for themselves. There's no absentee ballots on this. And to not vote on Jesus is to vote no. Because it leaves all of your sin, all of your no votes, standing on their own merit. I mean, you've already said no. We've already, all of us have already said no to God. And if we don't say yes to Jesus, all of our no votes will go into the record. And that will be our eternity. God will say, you said no to me? All right. I will honor your vote. Because your vote does matter. So to say, to make no decision on Jesus is to say no. So I'm, I'm, I've decided I'm going to end this message and, and actually begin this 2016 decision series by giving everyone a chance to say yes to Jesus. To make the most important vote you'll ever make. And as we talk about other decisions, that th- this is the most important one. If this one isn't made, the other ones don't really matter. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and um, I want to describe what it means to, make, to say yes to Jesus, because it is just involves a little bit more than just yes. So I'm just going to go th- quickly through the ABCs of saying yes to Jesus. If you're going to say yes to Jesus, and I know a number of you, have, most of you probably have, but some of you may not have yet. So I want to make sure this is clear. The letter A stands for admit, admit your sin. If you're going to say yes to Jesus, you've got to recognize that you've been saying no to God all along. Now, it may have sounded like you're just saying yes to yourself and your ways and your ideas, but that's saying no to God and his ways. And so you have to first admit your sin. That's the letter A. The letter B is believe that Jesus can forgive you. A yes vote for him, as I said, cancels out all the no votes. He's the only one that can forgive sins because he is God in flesh. His life given for us, his perfect life given for our imperfect lives. And then the letter C is commit your ways to God. You see, unlike political promises that are made to be broken, this is not one of those. This is a real promise that's made to be kept. When you say yes to Jesus, it's not just, yes, now I'm going to go on and do whatever I want to do. It's yes, now I'm going to figure out the other yeses that I need to start saying. You're not going to be perfect, but the direction of your life has now changed. You, you've made a commitment to God's ways. You now take God and his ways seriously. So if that's a vote that you're ready to make, then I want you to join me in prayer and cast your vote as I pray. If you've already made this vote, Just allow this to be a reaffirmation, a reminder of your yes vote. So let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you, and we do admit our sin before you. All of us, every one of us, 
some in greater degrees and some in lesser degrees, but every one of us have and continue to cast no votes for you. We continue to pursue our own evil desires. We can label it and brand it as just doing what we want to do and having fun and making ourselves feel happy, but again and again, we, we're, just, we're just defying you. And we have said no to you again and again and again. And we recognize that those choices mean that one day you will honor that decision. And we will spend eternity apart from you. We admit that that is, in fact, our standing before you. Some of us are better, some of us are worse, but we, we all have sinned. And we admit that before you. And Jesus, we believe that you're the only one who can solve this. You're the only one who can forgive us. Because you are God in flesh. And when you gave your life on the cross, you gave your perfect life in exchange for our imperfect lives. And because you were God, your life has eternal merit and can cancel out every single one of our no votes. And so we decide to accept you as our Savior, the only one who can forgive us. And then we commit our ways to you. You are our Lord, our boss. From this point forward, we... We move into the future with a, with a primary filter of what do you want us to do? What, what, is, what do you say about this out of your word and what can we do in our particular situation? This is not a political promise. This is not something just to get ourselves out of a pickle. It, this is a decision to change the course of our life. We ask for your help in doing this. We thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.